Our scripture lesson for today, the second Sunday of the season of Lent, comes from the, the letter to the Romans, chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things which do not exist, hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what had been promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believed in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. The word of the Lord. The people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Have you ever wondered how a minister or a pastor gets partnered up with a congregation? It goes without saying that this process is different in every single denomination. And while I'm familiar with some of the different processes that different denominations use, I'm of course best familiar with the process that we utilize here in the ELCA, in our denomination. Now, when the process begins, it involves something that's known as paperwork. The, the minister or the pastor fills out what's called a rostered minister profile or an RMP. And at the same time, the congregation fills out what's called a ministry site profile. And, and it's basically both of these two sets of paperwork. They're long, they're introductory. They involve a lot of different questions about the minister themselves or about the congregation and the community that it's in and what's important to this, to this individual and what's important to this congregation and what this, this minister is gifted at and what this congregation is hopeful for and feels that they are gifted at. It's all kinds of stuff. So both parties fill out this paperwork. And then the paperwork is exchanged even before they ever begin to have a conversation or begin to meet one another. The paperwork is the introductory thing. Now, I bring this up because this idea, this process of introductory paperwork has something in common with our scripture lesson for today. Now, a moment ago, I just read a portion of Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, Paul, the apostle Paul, his letters make up a healthy portion of what we call the New Testament. 
And as he writes to all these different individuals or to these different faith communities, that's what all of these different letters are aimed at. But today we hear from Romans and Romans has a distinction. Now, if, if you're not familiar with kind of the layout of the New Testament, Romans is the first of Paul's letters that is listed within the New Testament. It's also the longest of Paul's letters that's featured in the New Testament. And it has a distinction. Not only is it the first and the longest, it also has the distinction of being one that Paul did not know his audience. Now, as I mentioned, most of his letters were written either to people that he knew or to communities of faith or churches that he had helped found. So he would have at least known some of the individuals, if not all of them, that were involved with that. Almost across the board, we always see this, the sense of familiarity between Paul and his audience. But Romans is different. You see, at the time when Paul wrote this letter, there was a church, a community of of followers of Christ, Christians, whatever we want to call them, in the city of Rome. But this was a church that Paul had not helped found. In fact, he had never even been to Rome at the time when this was written. But he hoped to come to them. He hoped to meet them, to one day travel and visit and spend time with them. And before he does, he wants to introduce himself. So just like that paperwork that I talked about with with the minister and with the congregation as they were beginning to introduce themselves to one another, this letter sort of serves in the same way. Now, because of this, the nature of this, this introductory introductory type thing, Paul wants to really lay out his beliefs, the basis for what he teaches and what he preaches and what he believes as the gospel. And that's why this letter is so long and so extensive. Now, scholars argue that it's his most complete theological argument, which is a big fancy way of saying essentially everything that he believes about all this stuff is listed out in there in in an ongoing argument that he goes throughout the whole thing. And this part that we have shared today is just one aspect of this larger ongoing argument. Now, Paul talks about a lot of different things in this letter when it comes to matters of of faith. I mean, faith is, is the main thing, but he talks about God, and he talks about Jesus, and he talks about justification, and he talks about sanctification, and he talks about salvation, all these Asians that he talks about, and he talks about sin, and he talks about brokenness, and he talks about forgiveness, and he talks about grace. I mean, he talks about this and this and this and this and this. It's just ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. But what I love about Paul, especially in the book of Romans, and particularly in this particular passage, is that he also lists examples, things that people can hold on to or they can think about and relate to as he's trying to explain this concept, as he's trying to explain this idea. He says, here's an example, and that's what we have. And I love today's example because he gives, when he's talking about faith, he begins to talk about the example of Abraham. Now, let me lay something out. Faith, that's what we're talking about. And faith, this is one of those fancy words that gets thrown around in church oftentimes when we're talking about things that are spiritual and faith. Now, I think faith, very simply, is believing something. That you've heard something and you believe it even without proof. In the particular realm of of faith within the church or faith in the gospel, we're essentially believing that God is going to make good on the promises that God has made. That's faith in a nutshell. And we have the example of Abraham. Now, what I appreciate about this, even within the larger larger letter to the Romans, is Paul, even though he doesn't know his audience, he does know something about them. 
He knows that this church in Rome is a mixture of people of different cultural backgrounds. Some of them would have had a Jewish background. They were born and raised in the Jewish faith. And so those individuals would have been familiar with Abraham. As soon as he said the name Abraham, they're like, yep, we know who that is. But he also knows that some of these followers of Christ, some of these believers, some of these Christians that are part of this church were of a Gentile background. They were not Jewish. And they maybe know about Abraham and they maybe don't. And so he fills in some of the blanks. And a lot of this earlier portion of the letter to the Romans is talking about who is Abraham? Why is he important? Why is his story important? And folks, his story is important. And so we got to dovetail away from Paul and we got to go back to Abraham because his story is amazing. Abraham shows up in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Very, very early on, we hear that he's about 20 generations after the creation of the world, about 10 generations after Noah and the flood, if you happen to catch that story from last week. That was our, our scripture lesson that we talked about a week ago. So it's very early on, and we hear about this random guy named Abraham just hanging out with his father's tribe or his father's uh, clan or whatever we want to call him, somewhere around the area known in the history books as Mesopotamia. And God randomly shows up and starts talking to him. And he's like, hey, Abe, what's up? How you doing? You good? Cool. Let's jam. And he's like, I've got an idea. I want you to leave your father's clan leave all these people that you know, this place that you're familiar with. I want you to leave. I want you to take your wife. I want you to take your nephew and your immediate servants and go. And Abraham's like, okay, sounds good. Where are we going? God's like, I'll tell you when we get there. And Abraham's like, okay. And he starts to go. And then God's like, oh, and by the way, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And you are going to have so many descendants that they're going to be like the sand on the seashore or like the stars in the heavens. And Abraham thinks for just a second, he's like, um, God, by the way, I, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but I'm 75 years old and my wife is like 65 years old and we don't have any kids because she's barren and we're both kind of old. And even though biology is not going to be invented for like, you know, a whole bunch of thousands of years yet, I kind of have an, a vague idea of how this whole descendants thing works. And um, I'm not sure if we're going to pull that off. And God's like, don't sweat it. Just trust me. It'll be good. And so they go off. And Abraham and his family, they have, or his, his wife, I should say, and his nephew and his household, they have all kinds of adventures. They do all kinds of strange stuff. Some of it's good, some of it's not quite so good. God does continue this whole, I'm gonna bless you thing. And Abraham gets kind of famous and he gets kind of rich and, and everything's going really good. But a bunch of years go by, like about 10 or so odd years. And then Abraham's kind of sitting around. He's like, hey God, let's jam. God's like, hey, yeah, what's up? Abraham says, you remember when we were talking here like a decade ago and you, you told me to go to this place and you would show me when we get there and that you were going to bless me and make my name great and that's all kind of happened and that's all well and good. But you also said I was going to have a bunch of descendants and well, you know, it's been 10 years and I'm like 85 now and my wife's like 75 now and we haven't really made any progress on that front and my heir is just this random servant that works for me and that's fine, but, but that's kind of not what you said and God's like, don't sweat it. I got it. Just trust and more years go by, and more years go by, and different things happen. And Abraham and Sarah, they kind of try and take matters into their own hands, and that doesn't really work out real well, and different things happen, and different things happen, and different things happen. And finally, when he's about 100 years old, finally, Abraham and Sarah have a child. They have their son, Isaac, who is the child of the promise, 
And even though Abraham ends up with other kids besides just Isaac, that, that he is the one who the promise continues, and this is the beginning of the basis for all of his many, many countless descendants. That's where this all starts from. But it took 25 years, 25 years from the time when God first said, I'm going to do this seemingly impossible thing. I am promising to you it will happen. And through all the ups and downs, through all the rigmarole, through all the things where probably uh, Abraham felt pretty good about stuff, and then other times when Abraham probably didn't feel real good about stuff, on and on and on and on. Finally, after all this time, when everything continuously seemed more and more and more impossible to Abraham, finally the promise is fulfilled. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about because... Throughout all of this time, throughout all of the ups and downs, we continue to hear that Abraham trusted, he believed that God would make good on the promise that God had made. Even in the times when there was maybe some wavering, and there were, we hear about one time, in fact, I mentioned it already, when Abraham's like, hey God, remember 10 years ago when you made that promise? There were other times, there were other things that show us that, yeah, there was probably some doubts. There was probably some questions. There were probably some frustrations where, God, are you going to make good on this or not? Like, it doesn't feel like it. I mean, I believe that you will, will and can do what you said you, you would do, but it doesn't feel like it right now. That is probably a fair assumption that over the course of those 25 years, and even in the ongoing story beyond the time when Isaac was finally born, that Abraham had some wavering, that he had some doubts. But he continues to believe even in the times of those natural occurring frustrations. And that's what's credited to him as righteousness, which basically means he's good in the eyes of God. Why? Because he believes that God will make good on the promise. I thought a lot about Abraham's story and I thought a lot about how, how important it is that Paul references him as an example of faith to all of us. Because all of us recognize the need to hold on to the promises of God, even in the times when it might not feel like it. And even more so for us now, I think we find ourselves in a situation where maybe this really resonates. And folks, if you've seen any of these videos before, if you've heard any of these messages before, this probably sounds like a broken record because we keep on talking about it. But we are a year deep into an ongoing pandemic. If we think back to March of last year, at least here in our own little corner of the world, when COVID really hit our area and we began to see the effects. I know the timing's a little different in different places, but it's been a year for us. And when it first happened, we thought, well, okay, this is weird and we don't exactly know what to think and it's inconvenient and it's probably gonna be inconvenient for a couple of weeks. Eh, okay, maybe now a week longer. Yeah, maybe a couple more weeks longer. Eh, maybe it's gonna be another month and another month. It's gonna be a couple more months. And now it's going to be a couple more months, and now it's going to be more time, and another season has come and gone, and another season has come and gone, and another batch of time has come and gone, and now we're at the year mark, and even though things are looking encouraging right now, and they are, we're not out of the woods yet. And we continue to, to hear reports of how, well, we think even with the presence of the vaccines, you know, the vaccines aren't going to be widely distributed for until probably early to mid-summer. And, and, and then by the time we really begin to see the, the, the effects of that, you know, we might be into the fall and this might continue to carry on and carry on and carry on. And that's hard because every single report that we've gotten, even when it's favorable, still says you need to keep waiting. 
It's not over yet. We need to keep going. And here in our congregation, I know there's frustrations and I know that there's, there's aggravations and there's times where we're like, is this ever going to be over? When is enough going to be enough? And we think, okay, well, we've got a favorable report here, but then we have to change our plans. And maybe when we get to this point, things will be good, but then we have to change our plans. And we think, well, maybe this is going to happen, but no, we need to extend this. We need to kind of continue to wait. It's been on and on and on and on. And folks, I know everyone's frustrated. And we're all wondering, when is enough enough? Will we ever get back to some semblance of normal? Where are you on this, God? And maybe, just maybe, this year has proved a lot of what Abraham felt year after year after year when this seemingly impossible thing that had been promised by God, another year goes by and I don't have a child. And another year goes by and I don't have a child. And another year goes by and I don't have a child. Over and over again. And I think we can probably all relate to that. And so in these times, in this ongoing situation where it gets really, 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 really hard to hold on to things, how do we do that? What are those promises that we are called to cling to in our life of faith now? Abraham believed the promise that God had made that I will give you so many descendants they can't even be counted. That's what he believed. What is it that we are called to believe? What is that gospel? What is that promise that has been made to us that we are called to hold on to? I think the promise of the gospel if we break it all the way down, the thing that we are called to believe is that God made all of this. And we got to go clear back to Genesis to see that. Now, we don't know how it happened. There's a lot of different theories. There's a lot of different ideas of how God did or did not make the world, but somehow God made it. God called it all good. God took delight in it. The creation exists from a place of God's joy and delight. And then God made humanity. And God's like, this is really awesome. And it was all good, but it was not perfect. And then we know that brokenness and sin and broken relationships, whatever we want to call them, however we want to refer to them, those all came into the picture. But folks, remember where the story starts. The story starts in chapter one with God's joy and delight in creation, including humanity, which includes you. You begin from a place of God's joy and delight. Because God looked at all of this and like, this is pretty awesome, but you know what this needs? This needs one of you. And God made you lovingly and joyfully. And then, yes, the brokenness does exist, but that's not where your existence starts from. And God loves you so much. God takes so much joy and delight in you. God takes so much joy and delight in you as you are that God will overcome the brokenness, which does, yes, exist, because you start from joy. That's what Jesus was somehow accomplishing. That's what God was up to in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I don't know how it works, but the claim of God through Jesus is upon you. You are my beloved child. In you, I take joy and delight. And even though, yeah, the world, which is good, is also broken, and there's a lot of stuff going on that we struggle to make heads or tails of, and there might be times when it's really hard to hold on to that promise. That promise remains that none of this stuff will ultimately get in the way of the love and the joy that God takes in you the delight that God takes in being in relationship with you that will one day come to completion when you and God are utterly unhindered. That is the promise of the gospel, that God's claim upon you will not be overcome. Now, certainly there are times when we struggle to see it. There are times when we are united together through the power of the Holy Spirit into a community that is called to support one another when we see someone who's struggling 
when we see someone who's wavering, when we see someone who is really, really getting beat up, getting beat around, and they're having a hard, hard, hard time, given their circumstances of holding on to that promise, we are called to show it to one another, to be community for one another, because that's what the body of Christ does for one another and for this world. May we hold on to the promises. May we remind one another of those promises and may we proclaim those promises to all the world.